Hello, my name is Hanson Kang and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund in Washington, D.C. In previous podcasts, we've noted how many of Africa's economies have performed impressively over the last decade and a half or so. The global economic crisis notwithstanding, economic growth in several non-oil exporting countries in Africa was a robust 5% or more each year. But this contrasts with the performance of the private sector, where much remains to be done. Also, says Vijaya Ramachandran of the World Bank and her co-authors. They've written a book entitled Africa's Private Sector, What's Wrong with the Business Environment and What to Do About It. Dr. Ramachandran joined me to talk about her findings, but she began by explaining why the private sector, which in this context means manufacturing, is so important for Africa's economic takeoff. If you look at the historical examples from around the world, the manufacturing sector has been a critical step in the transformation from a rural, agriculturally-based economy to an advanced, industrialized country. My book focused mostly on on the manufacturing sector and this broader question of why manufacturing has not yet taken off uh, in much of sub-Saharan Africa. So in your um, in the process of your research, you obviously met factory owners, um, owners of small businesses. And what did they tell you about the major obstacles that they face when they're trying to develop their business? So the overwhelming obstacle, I think, in sub-Saharan Africa is the lack of electricity, the lack of a reliable and adequate power supply. On a tangible level, it means that production often stops for several hours a day because the power supply gets shut off. Either you have brownouts or you have rolling blackouts in electric power. No matter what the problem is, many factories uh, have to shut down production. And this translates into a significant loss of production, of sales, and a significant decline in profits. I think the best example I have of this is in um, 2007, the government of Kenya asked the Kenyan Association of Manufacturers to move their production schedule from their usual daytime hours to a nighttime schedule of 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. so that they could conserve uh, power during the daylight hours. Now, clearly, this was not a viable proposition, but it did illustrate the extent to which the power supply is a problem in much of Africa. Okay, electricity, obviously one of the biggest, if not the biggest obstacle to doing business in sub-Saharan Africa. Name me some others, identify some others for me. I think much is made of the regulatory burden uh, that business owners face in Africa. And this ranges from very high taxes or taxes that are imposed in an ad hoc manner, all the way to corruption and bribery problems. Often the regulatory burden um, can be a very serious constraint to business, and it can also lead to people simply shutting down their businesses because they are... um, unable to face the burden of these ad hoc kinds of payments, whether it be for a telephone connection or an electricity connection, or it can also be, for example, uh, visits from inspectors to factories where uh, bribes are demanded. And so you see business owners often uh, exhibiting frustration around those kinds of issues. You say that, but you also note in your book that over the last decade, decade, decade and a half, and pre the crisis, the global crisis, Sub-Saharan Africa has been doing quite well. Its performance has not been bad, especially compared to prior years. So has much changed in the year, um, decade and a half? 
I think a lot has changed in the in the past decade and a half, and I and I don't want to overstate Africa's problems by by any by any means. At the same time, I feel like if these investments are made in infrastructure and if some of the burden of regulation is reduced, we can really see the private sector take off. I think in many countries, we're yet to see that. One example I want to give you is that, you know, currently the two largest economies of Africa are Nigeria and South Africa. And there is no overland trade between those two economies because of the lack of roads. And I think within some investment in transportation-related infrastructure, there is scope for trade in manufactured goods and other goods between these two very large economies. Let me shift gear a bit. You also do an analysis or, or you make reference to the ownership of businesses in Africa. And you make a distinction between the larger businesses and then the smaller businesses owned by the indigenous population. First, explain that to me. It is interesting to note in the data and certainly in the broader literature, a preponderance of large businesses owned by uh, ethnic minorities. So Africans of Asian descent or Middle Eastern descent uh, tend to own the larger businesses, whereas indigenous Africans tend to own smaller businesses. And the question is, you know, why is that the case? Why has this distribution been so permanent in some sense? Why has that not changed faster? The thing that seems to be driving the uh, size and the viability of the ethnic minority-owned businesses is the reliance on very tight ethnic networks, both for credit and for information. Uh, Whereas with the broader indigenous base of African entrepreneurs, we are yet to see the emergence of these kinds of networks that would help indigenous entrepreneurs grow their businesses and, and get access to credit. So what are your major policy recommendations? Uh, We really believe that investments need to be made to a much greater extent than they are in infrastructure, and in particular that the investments should be made on a regional basis rather than a national basis. It makes a great deal of sense for the multilateral banks and for other players to think about investments in infrastructure that would supply electricity to many countries as opposed to a single country. So I think one um, project that begs for investment is the Inga River, which is in the the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the Inga River has enough hydroelectric potential to supply probably half of sub-Saharan Africa with a very significant share of its needs for electricity. But that requires a number of countries coordinating and the multilateral banks being willing to engage with multiple countries in private public partnerships for investment. On the um, issue of ownership of businesses and the need to expand the base of the private sector, I believe that we need to be thinking much more about investing in business education. And by that, I don't mean formal business schools. I mean uh, the kinds of very informal, practical types of business education that would enable entrepreneurs to get some basic skills around running a business, uh, doing accounts, um, having their accounts audited, qualifying for credit. These are the sorts of constraints we see uh, with very small businesses in Africa. And I think uh, education around these types of things would be very valuable. So what's holding this back? Is it a lack of capacity that you've identified or is it a lack of will or is it too much corruption? What are the major factors holding this back? Because it would seem so obvious that you, one needs to do this if one's going to grow businesses in one's country. I think a combination of the of the things that you just mentioned. Um, certainly, there is still some progress to be made in 
uh, recognizing the role of the private sector. If you look historically at sub-Saharan Africa, the public sector has dominated the economies of many of these countries for many years. Uh, and public sector employment is still widely regarded as a coveted thing because it ensures security and you know um, uh, a determined wage and so on. Uh, we need to see a big shift in thinking, I think, still. The other issue, which is a, a more complex issue, is the fact that um, much of revenue still come from uh, tariffs on exports and on taxes on goods produced and so on. And again, there a recalibration has to happen um, to enable businesses to survive. Just to round off, Dr. Ramachandran, in the process of your research, what has given you the most hope? What example has given you the most hope that things are changing? And what's made you feel most depressed and think, nothing's going to change. What, what are those two extremes? Very interesting question. Uh, I would say the, the country that has recorded the most progress, I think, on business reforms is Rwanda. Um, you know, the, the despite the, the concerns we have perhaps about uh, political freedoms and so on in Rwanda, there's no doubt that on the business front, uh, there have been major reforms to reduce uh, the regulatory burden, to reform the court system, uh, to bring in private investment, particularly foreign direct investment, um, to enable small businesses to survive and grow. Uh, just huge reforms in a very short amount of time, which is really, I think, a remarkable accomplishment. Uh, on the on the other side of the story, uh, I think it is depressing, particularly to look at countries that remain in conflict. Uh, uh, you know, the eastern part of Congo, um, other parts uh, of, of Africa where, where, where we see um, conflict, you know, it is very hard to get the private sector going in these in these countries. And in some places, I think we've seen even um, uh, a regression from, the, you know, from 10 years ago or five years ago. Certainly, I think in these sorts of situations, we need to see uh, coordinated action, not just from the World Bank and IMF, but from the African Union, from, you know, other players uh, before we can see the private sector take off. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Ramachandran. Thanks so much. Dr. Vijaya Ramachandran of the World Bank on her prescription for a healthier private sector in sub-Saharan Africa. And to hear more podcasts, look us up on the IMF's website, www.imf.org. <laughs>